Misty Seibel, your host. Welcome to Sweet Home Seibel. Welcome to part two of astrology. I'm so excited to finish this up. I literally have been studying astrology nonstop for the past like month to the point where like when Steve says goodbye to me in the morning, which is typically around 4.30 or 5, I feel like I am learning astrology in my sleep. When he wakes me up to say goodbye, I'm literally like Aries, Ram, Fire, Power, Determination, Mars. I can feel myself thinking that in my dream state. It's so wild. So I'm very excited to finally get the rest of this information out so that you can start deciphering your own birth chart. Again, I have to mention, this is such rudimentary information. There is so much to astrology. It can be very overwhelming very quickly. I have had to figure out which information is most pertinent to being able to individually look at your birth chart without the help of a ton of resources, and that is going to be basic information. That doesn't mean that it's all the information that's there. It just means it's the prominent information that can give you a better idea. To be honest, maybe we haven't lived through those details yet. Maybe they don't make sense to us yet. But the overarching theme of our personality lies within the sequencing that we're going to talk about. We're also going to talk about the houses today. So I actually want to start there. Last, we went over planets and we went over signs. As your reminder, planets are the 10 basic functions of the mind divided into departments. The formation of your ego, the formation of your feelings, and so on. Signs, or constellations, are the mind's way of making distinct processes and developing goals within those departments of basic functions. The development of courage, the development of willpower. Any planet... Sun, Moon, Mercury, Mars, can lie in any sign, Aries, Libra, Taurus, but there's always going to be a ruling sign for a planet. If you can remember who rules who, it's easier to look at your birth chart. If you can remember that the Leo and the Sun are with each other, the Moon and Cancer are connected, Mercury is connected to Virgo and Gemini, Venus is connected to Taurus and Libra, Mars is connected to Aries. They share similar qualities, right? So Mars is your willpower, your fire, your tenacity, and Aries is your life force, right? It's the beginning and it's a fire sign. So they have a lot of similarities. They go well together. If your Mars falls in a house that is an Aries, then you know that that is amplified in your birth chart. They work well together. It's not as much of an issue in your personality department. Then we move to houses. The best way to describe this, besides the planets being the what, the signs being the how and why, and the houses being the where, I want to give you a different visual. Houses are fixed. They are there no matter what. The signs constantly fluctuate and the planets revolve within all of these houses. But if you look at a birth chart wheel, you will always have house one and then house two and then house three and so on until you get to 12. It's not going to be house one and then house seven on someone's birth chart. It's always going to be house one and then two and then three. The fixed house element gives us the human experience. 
So far, all we've done is look at the departments of the personality and put some context in there. But we don't actually know how that context is going to play out until we give it an arena, give it a stage to stand on and express itself. So someone gives you a layout of the land and says, here's your terrain. You're going to meet the terrain either way, but how you decide to interpret the terrain is your choice. Our houses are the objective world that give our planets and signs a place to live and grow and evolve. In part one, I told you that 12 signs go through the revolution of a year. It also is like the human process, and it starts with Aries and it ends with Pisces. They are linked to the houses. Your natural house number one is going to be ruled by Aries. That's your first house. That doesn't mean that Aries will always be there, but Aries will always have an undertone working in the first house. So if you can learn your constellations in order from Aries being number one to Pisces being number 12, and you can apply that same logic to the undertones of the houses, then you're well on your way to kind of understanding your birth chart. Another good way to look at this is that your signs are the events that happen in your head. Your houses are how those events play out in your real world. Okay, so with all of that being said, we're going to jump right in because there are 12 houses and I do want to get to some sequencing as well. So house number one is the house of personality and it is corresponding to Aries and Mars. The first house is going to be where you find your ascendant sign. We didn't go over this in the first episode because I think that it would be more confusing, but I want to talk about it now. The best way I can describe the ascendant sign, the totality of information of your personality, the richness of it is so deep, it needs to be simplified into a form of some sort. You have to channel the totality of your birth chart into the world of action, and that's where you get your ascendant sign. So what I read in The Inner Sky by Stephen Forrest, which really clicked with me, is that your sign, ascendant sign, is the mask that you wear in society. It is a mask representing your innermost thoughts and needs and feelings in a confined, simplified form that other people can understand and translate. The second house is the house of money. This is traditionally called the house of money. I like to think of it as the house of possessions, material earthly possessions, which makes sense because it runs with Taurus and Venus. You find your self-esteem in the world. If you think of the corresponding elements of Taurus and of Venus, You're looking for love and stability, and you're looking for how you can create your place on earth, be the most stable and comfortable that it can be, the most loving it can be. And in your interior world, that is your self-esteem and your confidence, and your exterior world, that's actually what you possess. When we see people not using their second house effectively, that looks like people hiding behind their possessions. The third house, just as Gemini is third in the constellations, Gemini is third in the house of communication. It's also run by Mercury. So this is your 
gathering of information and your sharing of information. So first, it's how you perceive, and then how you make your perceptions perceivable to others. If you have a hard time with a third house, it's probably in the form of nightmares, of your fears forcing your life choices, or you don't know what is driving your choices in your life. That is from the third house. The fourth house is the house of home. It's run by Cancer and the Moon. So this is your intuitive, emotional personality. And this is an interesting house because it has two sides to it. It has the hero side and it has the shadow side. On the wheel, if the first house starts right below the horizon on the left side, which is where it does start, then the fourth house naturally falls at the very bottom of the chart, which is the strike of midnight. So if you can think of it as being at the very bottom, it's literally your innermost world and how you handle that world. Do you perceive yourself as the hero of your world or do you perceive yourself as a fearful version of your world? Are you living in your own shadow of your own doubts? This house helps us, looking at the first house, learn how to balance ourselves with the mask that we wear. All of like the roots of yourself are in this house. House number five originally was considered the house of children. I'm going to call it the house of pleasure, anything that can develop joy and creativity in your life. It is run by Leo, the sun, which makes sense because it's enthusiasm. It's a childlike excitement about the world and where you can find that in your life. This house reminds us, depending on what planets are in there and what sign rules it, pleasure comes in many forms. It's just up to you to decode which forms best serve you. So then the shadow side of being in this house would be not being able to create joy or feel pleasure. House number six is kind of confusing. Originally, it was called the house of servants. I think the birth chart has a lot of understanding from the medieval times that astrologers have kept around, even though it's not as useful anymore. So the house of servants in medieval times helped people understand their relationship literally with their servants that were working for them. But now we view it more as how you serve yourself in your daily life, in your routines, in your self-discipline. Successfully navigating the sixth house, fulfilling a development of a skill that ultimately is going to help people around you. The shadow side of this is working just to work. There's no fuel behind it. There's no reason for you to do your daily chores, your daily tasks. You're stuck in a monotonous routine and you don't find any deeper, fulfilling reason behind it. House number seven is the house of marriage. I also say any very deep relationship that you have, it doesn't necessarily have to be with your partner. Libra and Venus rule this house. So if you can think of the house of marriage as intimate relationships and equality between those relationships, so Libra equality and Venus intimate relationships, then you kind of have an understanding of the seventh house. The shadow side of this house is the inability to form bonds that are deep, that are sincere. Another big part of this house is that within the house, equality represents interdependency. 
It represents how you can successfully navigate being half of a whole relationship. The eighth house has always frightened everybody, and so naturally it draws me towards it the most. The eighth house is the house of death, also of sex and the occult. This house's planetary ruler is Pluto, and the sign is Scorpio. So if we think of those, we're thinking of instinctual behavior and universal consciousness. To successfully navigate this house, we basically have to have the understanding that there is more to life than death. We can't be afraid of death. We shouldn't be afraid of intimacy. We shouldn't be afraid of our instincts outside of our personality. A healthy representation of the eighth house is acceptance of death, acceptance of your own sexual drive, acceptance that people can believe in higher powers, and then, of course, the shadow side of this is being very rigid in what you believe in after death or being scared of death. I mean, being scared of death is pretty much on everyone's list. Eventually, we are going to die. I'm still being able to live a beautiful life, even though death is imminent. It also could be like blocked sexuality or just not believing in a god, that type of idea. But more so, it's driven by the death aspect. It's how we accept and integrate that into our daily lives. The ninth house is traditionally called the house of long journeys. I also have recently seen it been called the house of higher realms. It is run by Jupiter and Sagittarius. The idea of the ninth house is how well you navigate the unexpected in your life. It's how do you absorb new shocking information that you've never thought of before or that came into your awareness. Do you turn it away? Do you accept it? It kind of goes along with the eighth house. But this is more specifically knowing that you're here to grow and evolve, so pushing those limits for yourself. The shadow side of House 9 is being narrow-minded about the world, not wanting to travel, not wanting to experience other points of view. If you think of it in a Sagittarian way, the Sagittarius is constantly seeking new adventures, and so it is always on the move, always saying yes to new things. If you're in the ninth house, and you're not effectively navigating it, then you're turning down all of those experiences. You're dogmatic in thoughts of the world. Okay, so if we're thinking about the wheel, we started at house one, which is right below the horizon on the left side of a chart, and I will explain the chart. So we went down to four, which is like the strike of midnight, and then we came back up, and now we're counterclockwise circling up to the very top of the chart, and this is where you will find the 10th house which is the midheaven, also the house of our societal role, also known as the house of career. Capricorn and Saturn naturally rule this house. This house is hard to just call it your career because it's not that. It's more like how you fit into your community, how other people view you from a distance socially. So like your social status doesn't necessarily have to be your job. It's how people in your community, in your peer groups, view you. And in that way, people see you more as a function to society than a human being with a personality. I hope that makes sense. So then the shadow side of that would be 
being in an alienating social role that doesn't actually fit with your inner personality or your obsession about where you are in your social status. The best way I can describe this is if you're at the very top of the chart, the midheaven, that's when the sun is, it's at noon, highest in the sky, burning brightest. So everything about you is being spotlighted. You pretty much want to be able to get paid for being who you are in this house. (laughs) And then, of course, if we're not doing that, we end up feeling illegitimate. We feel insecure in our status, in our role. All right, moving to the 11th house. We are almost to the end of houses. The 11th house is considered the house of friends, but I want to call it more so the house of your community. So think about when we're talking Jupiter and Saturn. Remember, they're more generational. Jupiter is every 12 years. Saturn is every 30 years. This is how you fit in with that group. That's the 11th house. This house is run by Aquarius. And then the planets are Uranus and Saturn. Future goals, your life plans. This house, I would like to also say, is the house of networking. So how you develop your relationship within your peer group to be able to work best for you. If you are not successfully navigating this house, you're going to be having an inability to make commitments to other people, an inability to create goals and stick with them and see them through. Kind of like, okay, we all know we have to live in the now. We know that focusing on the now is the best thing that we can do, but with the intention that there will be a future. You are living in the now to create your future. This house is guiding you in that direction. Yes, you're living in the now, but are you focused on a specific future? And if so, what type of future are you focused on? And what kind of moves should you make to get to that future? And then finally, we have the 12th house, which is the house of troubles originally. I would like to call it the house of transcendence. It is corresponding with Pisces. Obviously, Pisces is related to Neptune, but also Jupiter. I like to call this the house of transcendence because it literally is your awareness to consciousness itself and also how you temporarily escape that consciousness. If you are navigating this house successfully, escaping your conscious reality, everybody needs breaks, right? Escaping your conscious reality looks like meditation or having a spiritual practice tapping into the collective energy source that you know to be true to refill your energy, getting out into nature, taking a vacation, like taking a break from the life that you live every day. Unsuccessful navigation of this house is the same escapism in a different way. This looks like alcoholism. It looks like being addicted to something of trying to escape your reality in a not great way. Any intense, impulsive, competitive behavior found in this house, that's a form of escaping whatever reality that you're living in. Okay, so we have planets, we have constellations, we have houses. We have the start to figuring out our birth chart. While there are so, so, so many more aspects to the birth chart that can give you more deep details, these three are going to help you get 
an overall idea, an overall sense of your personality map, your birth chart. Very quickly, I'd like to give a visual on the actual birth chart itself so that you know which section you're looking in. You have a circle and it's cut twice. It's cut horizontally through the middle and vertically through the middle. So you've got four quadrants. First, let's look at the horizontal cut. You have below the horizon and you have above the horizon. So if you think about the way that the birth chart goes, you're on the left side of the horizon line. That's house one, and you're going to go counterclockwise and down. So that's house one, and then two, three, and remember I said four is at midnight, which is at the very bottom of the circle. And then you go up, 12 noon is at the very top of the circle. Below the horizon line is just as it sounds. It's not seen. It's in the dark. It's your unconscious inner world reality. The above part of the horizon is how you fit into the society that you live, how other people view you, your conscious reality, external events that help shape you. And then you have the vertical. So if we're looking at a chart and we look to the left-hand side, we have the vertical side. This side is going to pertain to freedom of choice. It is your human will, and that's how most of your actions are going to be taken, versus the right side, which is considered west. It gets really confusing. I'm not even going to go into it. But the right side is considered fate. Things so happen to you more than you decide them happening for yourself. That's why when you look at houses 10, 11, and 12, They all have to do with your exterior surroundings, your role within the bigger collective consciousness. Second, when you're looking at this birth chart and you know all of that about where each one lies, freedom versus fate, conscious versus unconscious, the next thing you want to do is see where all your planets lay. If most of them are underneath the horizon line, if most of them are above the horizon line, if most of them are in one of the four quadrants. Say your most of your planets fall above the horizon line to the left of the vertical line. That is your conscious free will quadrant. That is you making conscious decisions out of your own will versus the right side above the horizon line is still your conscious reality but it's more how things happen to you within that role of the collective consciousness. Okay, so let's jump into sequencing. So the very first thing you want to look at at your birth chart is your sun, your moon, and your ascendant, sometimes called rising sign. Where they lay, what sign they fall in, what house they fall in. This is like the primal triad of who you are. Each one of the 12 signs has a corresponding archetype. The archetypes of the 12 signs are everywhere online if you Google it. The idea is that you're going to put them into a sentence to kind of understand yourself better. That's a great place to start. And here's how it sounds. I am a, this is where you put your sun sign, with the soul of a, this is where you put your moon sign, wearing the mask of a blank. So you go sun, moon, ascendant. For example, I am a Capricorn sun, a Scorpio moon, and a Taurus ascendant. My sentence would sound like this. 
I am the hermit with the soul of a detective wearing the mask of the earth spirit. When you go to analyze the rest of your birth chart, it's nice to have this idea on hand. So they are always going to play a role in every other planetary placement, no matter what. Okay, so once you understand your three primary roles, your sun, your moon, your ascendant, and then where most of your planets lie, that shapes your world. So your hemispheres really describe the type of world that you live in. If you're living on the freedom side, that's going to feel more individually driven than the fate side because you have to make determined decisions for yourself versus if you're on the right-hand side of the vertical hemisphere, most of life's decisions are going to be made for you. So you don't have that same sense of like you have to be individualized in this world. Once you look at that, then you look at where your planets are placed. You might not have planets in every single house. In fact, you won't. There's only 10 planets and there's 12 houses. The way that I look at planets being in houses is something that your personality is working to grow or an issue that you are needing to grasp. Something needs focus there. So your planet is being like, hey, ding, ding, ding. Okay, so I'm going to give an example of my daughter's birth chart, which I find very interesting because all of her planets lie above the horizontal, meaning that everything that she's going to go through has to be events in her external world. Like she's not going to work through them in her mind alone by herself in solitude. That would mean that her planets would be under the horizontal or under the horizon. If you have multiple planets in one house, that means that they are both there working together to solve whatever issue it is. You can't look at one without taking the other into consideration. Okay, so just to wrap things up, if you are interested in doing something with your birth chart first, get your birth chart. I do it from astro, A-S-T-R-O dot com. I believe Cafe Astrology also provides that, but I'm not sure how extended the chart is. So once you get your free birth chart, then you can see what your sun, your moon, and your ascendant sign are, and then we're going to create that sentence. Because I already gave that to you guys, I also want to explain where those are in the position of my chart, and maybe that'll help you understand even more. Like I said, my sun is a Capricorn. My son is found in my 10th house, the house of my societal role or career, and it is also in Capricorn. So my 10th house, natural ruler is Capricorn and Saturn, which is self-discipline, inner wisdom, lining your inner self with your outer reality. My son, sign, being Capricorn, in the 10th house, which is naturally ruled by Capricorn, automatically makes that a dominant feature in my personality because it's doubled up. They agree with each other. They're in harmony with each other. So chances are you're going to see those tendencies of me in a role within society. Okay, so then we look at my moon sign. My moon is in Scorpio. The moon is your feelings, your emotions. My moon lays in my seventh house of deep personal connections, marriages, or relationships. My seventh house falls in Scorpio, 
Now, the natural ruler of the seventh house is Libra and Venus, which makes sense because remember, you have to find equality in your love life. Because my moon is a Scorpio and my house falls in Scorpio, that means that the Scorpion attributes are going to be amplified in my relationships. And then we look at my ascending sign, which is always going to be in your first house because it starts there, and I don't have any planets that lay in my first house. Taurus is my ascendant sign. It's having the ability to be unfathomably deep and yet silent to the outside world. If you have houses that don't have any planets, don't take that as you not having anything. You definitely still have those qualities. They just maybe are already ingrained within you. They come to you naturally. You don't really have to think about it or you're not going to see it reflected in external events. All right, last thing I'm going to say about the birth chart. I looked at my mom's recently and hers is very interesting because she basically has like all of her planets on one lower left quadrant and then the rest of them in the upper right quadrant which are oppositions i see this in her all the time she has basically like two minds that she's working in and out of so my mom is very intuitive and she's very in touch with her body and her feelings and her emotions which is shown on one side of the birth chart but then her logical framework her analytical mind is getting in the way and trying to make those same decisions that her body wants to make. So you see that opposition on her chart very heavily because of where the planets lay. Okay, you guys, basic, basic astrology 101. There's so much more I could get into. I did have people ask me some questions about it, but I just think that these two episodes needed to be the fundamental information so that you could grasp the idea yourself. And then if there are questions after you look at it or you listened and you're like, hey, I really would like an explanation, DM me at Misty Seibel on Instagram or you can email me at sweethemseibel at gmail.com. The next few episodes, I'm going to go back to my regular jam, but there probably is going to be another self-help tool that I'll be interested in in the near future. Who knows what it'll be? Right now it's astrology, so I'm trying to learn all I can with that first. All right, that's all I have. Thanks for listening to Sweet Home Cyborg.